Kurt, are you having a good uh, end of summer? I am. Thank you for asking. I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Well, great. Today on the show, we have uh, Todd Wilchin, and Todd is the relatively new Lancaster County Election Commissioner. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thanks, Lynn. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. Todd, would you uh, just tell our listeners about yourself, uh, kind of start from the beginning, where you're originally from, and bring us up to date, and kind of give us a little bio, and uh, then, then we'll dig in on all the other stuff. Awesome. Absolutely. Uh, well, originally I'm from Kearney. I was born and raised out there. Uh, I moved to Lincoln um, in 1999 uh, when I had the opportunity to work for uh, former U.S. Senator Chuck Hagel. Um, I did constituent services, and I was his state director um, for 10 years um, until he retired in 2009. Um, and then after that, I did a few projects. I worked on the 2010 census. I ran the Nebraska Partnership Program which was the program of the census that encouraged voluntary participation. Um, I also, uh, after that, worked on a, another project involving animal livestock, uh, worked with the Farm Bureau, cattlemen, pork, uh, dairy, and poultry producers, formed an organization called We Support Agriculture um, to push back on uh, issues involving uh, a potential campaign uh, by animal rights activists. Um, then after that, I did work for Congressman Jeff Fortenberry for five years. I served one term on the county board as the county commissioner for District 5. Uh, then I also worked for the former state senator, Mark Holterman from Seward for one year as a legislative aide. Uh, most recently, I worked at the Lincoln Chamber of Commerce for four years. I was public policy specialist that focused uh, my efforts on issues involving local government, um, some state and federal issues. Then, so uh, how, yeah, how did you get to be the election commissioner? Yeah. Well, uh, my predecessor, uh, Dave Shively, who uh, served in this position for 23 years, uh, announced he was retiring last year. Um, and so it, the Lancaster County is unique, uh, just like Douglas and Sarpy. Our election commissioners are appointed by the governor. And so when, he, when Dave announced he was retiring, uh, that triggered a process in which the governor got to appoint Dave's replacement. And so I was encouraged by a number of individuals to consider applying, um, which I did. Uh, I applied. Um, I know a number of other people did that were very qualified. Um, and I'm grateful that I was selected um, for, the, for the position. And so it's a four-year uh, appointment. Uh, so I um, just started my first full term. Um, while I was appointed in February, actually that was just a temporary appointment through September. And then I was reappointed um, September 7th. Uh, and then that will go until September 7th of uh, 2027. So whereas our county, you are appointed, right. how's it working in other counties? Um, well, for a lot of counties, you have a county clerk that has different roles. Um, and so the vast majority of counties in Nebraska, your ele election commissioner, your election official, what would be your county clerk? Um, and that's for the really small counties. There are a few counties where there is an actual 
uh, election commissioner that is hired. Um, and so, uh, and they're, uh, yeah, they're responsible for the same, uh, responsibilities that I have just overseeing elections. So that'd be like Norfolk, Grand Island, bigger, bigger towns. Yeah, I, I would assume I'm not for sure which counties, but I would assume it's like Buffalo hall, uh, mm -hmm. Madison, some of the yeah. larger one that is just the, because of the, uh, activities that involve elections you need a dedicated staff person. So you've been, you've been in the position since February yep. and I'm guessing that you had a pretty steep learning curve because you hadn't yeah. been an election commissioner before. Well, you know, I, having been a county commissioner, I knew a lot of the activities that the election office was responsible for. You know, I also obviously was involved in campaigns over the course of my career. Uh, and so I, I knew a lot about elections. I, I was good friends with Dave Shively. Um, I had frequent conversations with him, both as a volunteer campaign worker as well as a candidate. And so I, I knew a lot of the processes. Um, and then when I was a county commissioner, I knew a lot about the budget and how the office interacts with the state. And so I, I knew a lot, but just to say, you know, I, I didn't know nearly enough. I mean, I, I'm very fortunate um, that when Dave retired, he had a great staff in place. Um, and uh, Dave did have a contract with the county and he still does. He is, uh, has agreed to be a consultant. So any questions that, that I had um, that came up, um, Dave was great. Um, and, uh, you know, just as an example, you know, my first day is the day that we mailed out 60,000 early vote ballot request postcards. And so to say that it was a steep learning curve, yeah, I mean, every week seemed like a month. It was just very, a lot of, a lot of uh, learning going on those first few months, especially during the city election, the, the you know, the primary um, and the general elections that we had in April and May. What, what surprised you? What, what is something you just didn't expect that happened or you learned about early on? Oh, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I knew a lot of the processes in place, but I, I just didn't know the details. I mean, I knew um, how the early vote ballot requests, you know, I knew the process, but just the level of detail, um, level of information that, that the office requires and it tracks and um, all that stuff that's done internally um, was, was, a, was something that I didn't know a whole lot about. Um, you know, I, I trusted that it was being done but uh, there's a lot of activity that the election office does um, behind the scenes, um, you know, verifying a, a lot of the information, making sure that the people who are voting are uh, eligible to vote. Um, and so it's just there's just a lot that goes on in the process of running a, a safe and secure election. Prior to entering this position, I know that you had those interactions, as you had said, um, but had you or anyone that was in your orbit ever taken the election poll worker courses training? Was that an was that just a new thing to you? Or I, mean, I know it's not new to you because you know we all see them when we go vote. But how much of that did you know prior to coming into this role? Like I said, I knew quite a bit about it because when I was a county board member, that was something that we all were able to participate in and just learn the process. Um, and and I and I've been to the office multiple times and kind of knew the processes 
in you know generally speaking i just didn't have the detail you know i didn't uh do the pole worker training i didn't do uh a lot of the stuff that you know the staff would have done um but i knew of it so how many uh pole workers do you have uh for each election what's the the, the gross number of people you have to organize well it varies so in our city elections um in the primary in general our election boards only need to be three people and so we have 177 precincts um in the city of lincoln and so just for a poll worker just to staff all of those polling sites you know you're, you're looking at just over 530 people um for a city election now when you have a statewide or a federal election uh that is countywide we have 199 precincts and for those elections we need a election board of at least five people and so uh, you're looking at just under a thousand people uh, required to run a countywide election wow i'm curious about the security process mm -hmm. so i don't know how much you can tell us i guess yeah. it's it's got to be public information, but it, yeah. What kind uh, of what, yeah? What kind of machines are used? Uh, where do they come from? How are they secured? Kind of given uh -huh. walk us through that whole process. Yeah. Well, there's several different phases of an election that when you talk about security. You know, there's the early voting. So there's the whole process in which an individual can request an early vote ballot, um, and so the, that request must be submitted in writing. There's some misinformation out there that uh, we send out ballots unsolicited that is categorically false um, in order for us to mail a ballot out we have to have a request in writing um, and then once we generate that ballot um, we send it to the voter it generates a roster so we, we track what ballots are being mailed out um, and so then when we receive a ballot back an early vote ballot um, we make sure that that ballot is on that roster. Um, again, there's people out there who claim that they received an unsolicited ballot from a third party. You know, that's just not possible because, you know, first of all, you know, the ballots are sent out and returned in our envelopes, um, but also the ballots are, uh, in addition to, uh, you know, just the paper we print them on, there's also coding um, on the paper. So, it's very hard to uh, create a counterfeit ballot that our machines would read. Um, and so again, for, for those early vote ballots, if, if you're not on our roster of early voting and we get a ballot from you, we're not going to accept it. Um, just like if we receive uh, other information, uh, you know, we, again, we, we have to verify that um, and the source. And so it, our early voting is very secure. Um, and then following so the election. No, no, no. So, so just, just before I just lose my thought here, before I, so when people, when people say that they got, they got a ballot and they claim that and, and you say it's not possible and, and, yeah. and just hearing that explanation, it makes all the sense. Where are those ballots coming from and who's yeah. stirring what, the pot? I, I think what happens is, is by law, um, you can request an early vote ballot up to 120 days or no, 120 days prior to an election. So 
in my experience in the last election, there, there was a person who came in who claimed that we mailed the ballot unsolicited, uh, and I was able to pull the application that he signed, <clears throat> and I was able to present it to him. And it was just a matter of the, you know, it, he had submitted it, you know, two months prior, and he just forgot. I mean, I, I think a lot of people forget that when they fill out a postcard that was mailed to them, you know, 100 days prior to an election, and when they get the ballot, they for, sometimes forgot that they had requested it. Um, so I think just first, you know, that it's there are people out there who just simply forget, um, it, you know, you know, the problem with all of us as we get older, you know, our memory sometimes isn't what it used to be. Sure. Um, but also there, there are people out there who are, you know, want to create a false narrative um, who, for whatever reason, uh, you know, don't like the outcome of the election um, or they're, they're wanting to some have some nefarious uh, motives, which I, again, I don't know what they would be. Uh, Todd, we're going to continue on about other aspects of security, yeah. uh, but we're going to take a short break. Absolutely. So we want to have our listeners stay tuned and uh, join us when we come back here in just a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Our Street. Lynn Fisher and Kurt Elder having a really uh, interesting conversation this afternoon with Todd Wilchin, and he's the uh, fairly new Alex, uh, Lancaster County Election Commissioner. And right before the break, uh, Todd was telling us about uh, voting security and early voting and and uh, all aspects of that part of the of the voting process. Todd, can you tell us about in-person voting security? If you can get into the machines and how, just tell us the whole process. Yeah, well, um, starting for the next election cycle in 2024, we're gonna have the new voter ID requirements um, that will require individuals who show up on election day. Um, they'll have to, in addition to giving their name, they will have to present a photo ID um, so that poll workers can verify their identity. And so there'll be more information coming out about the procedures in place for the public because this will be a change. Um, and so there's just, you know, anytime you have new procedures, sometimes there's con some confusion. But there'll be more about that coming out later this this year and early next year. Um, and just for early voting, you're gonna have to fill out the request form. You will need to provide your uh, driver's license number. And so that's a new level of security for elections. But um, the probably one of the bigger concerns that I hear have to do with the machines that we use to count our ballots. You know, many years ago, um, ballots were counted by hand at precincts. Um, this was a labor intensive process. Um, I was going through some archives um, in the forties. It took 18 hours to count the ballots for an election, 18 hours. Um, and over the years, you know, the modern technology has created equipment that can scan the ballots and count them in a fraction of the time. And so unfortunately, again, there's some misinformation out there. Um, you know, we use, um, they're called DS-850s. Um, we, we have six of them here in the office. Uh, we test them before every election just to make sure that the scanning is uh, being done properly um, and the programming uh, that is for each election is being recognized. Um, and so we do a, a test deck, basically. We do three independent tests. Um, I fill out many ballots, you know, that I am in charge of 
of running. Uh, my chief deputy does one. And then we have a third party who does, um, creates a test deck. Um, and basically these are ballots that, you know, we know the outcome of it. Um, you know, we have rules and we have procedures on how we fill them out. Um, you know, we run them through the machine to make sure they're running correctly. Um, and so if there's any issues with the test, then we'll know that um, the machines aren't operating correctly. Um, but also, you know, just the, the machines themselves are, are not connected to the Internet. Um, they're standalone. Uh, they're, they're not even ca capable of connecting to the Internet. Um, the information that that we download from them, you know, once the ballots are counted, um, we each machine prints off, you know, there's a paper copy of the election results. Um, we do export using a military encrypted thumb drive. It's a one-way device. Um, you can only use it once. Uh, you know, we are able to export that information to a, another uh, computer that's standalone. It, it compiles the results and, you know, we print that off. We print the results off from that machine. You know, and we compare, you know, uh, make sure that the results are the same and they, they add up. And so before the, the, the results are ever uploaded um, on our website, there's a several levels of, of check to make sure that the results are accurate. One thing's really interesting about that, just to throw it out there, is that you were saying it took 18 hours in 1940 to do that work? Yeah. So the power of the internet, I just did some quick math and whatnot. If, if we look at, we did the same thing at the same efficiency then with today's population, it would take almost seven days, seven full working days to get those results for Lincoln's current population. And yeah. that would be just, I don't think the public would, you know, that's just really interesting. That just, that, that, that that's a long process. Yeah, it, it is. It would be, um, and it's also, the other thing is, uh, and you go back and look at the 2000 election in Florida, where, where you had voter intent being uh, decided by poll workers. Uh, that that shouldn't happen. And that's the other thing that these machines don't do is that they do not interpret a voter's intent. They all they all they're asking or all they're looking at is who they voted for. So what happens a lot of times, which you know, there's a lot of hesitation. So one thing I would tell voters is that. If you do get a ballot and you do make a mistake, you know, ask for a new one. Don't don't cross out. Um, don't assume just because there's a little dot on your ballot that that's not going to count. Uh, if you make any mistakes on your ballot, request another one, a duplicate. Um, there's processes in place for both early voting and for the day of elections, just because those machines do not interpret. So if you cross out a name or a oval that you filled in that that machine doesn't recognize that it, it looks like you voted for that person and so a lot of times um unfortunately ballots get rejected um or the 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 race uh that they're uh voting in you know is it counted um just because there was a mistake made um and the machines cannot interpret the the intent of the voter um, we do have a resolution board you know, we have humans that can look at those ballots. Um, but again, we can't interpret uh, by law the voter intent. Um, so if there are two marks um, for two candidates on the same race, um, we're not going to count that. that. That's an overvote. And in that case, it'd be just, just for that race, if everything else was okay on the ballot, the rest yeah. of the votes count? 
Correct. Yeah, it's just for that one race. It, it doesn't gotcha. do anything for the ballot itself. It, it still will count as a, a ballot cast. It just will, it, on our voter uh, results, it will show up as an overvote. Um, so, so Todd, and uh, maybe you don't know this because this is, you you only had the one election, but how many, what percentage or how many numbers of invalid ballots or invalid races do you usually have in a, in a cycle? Yeah, that I don't know. I mean, you can look at um, in each election, each race on our website, you can actually go in and look and see, and it's called an overvote. Um, and that will determine, and that will tell you how many um, people voted for more than one candidate. And so it, it varies um, by race and probably by election. Um, so. When somebody writes in a candidate's name, how does the machine know that? So when you write in someone's name, there's an oval that you have to fill out right next to that name. And then the machine will tally the number of write-ins. And so I don't know, and we won't, we don't know by law, uh, you know, who the write-in candidates are um, because, you know, statewide um, or at the local level, you need at least 5% of the votes for a write-in candidate before we can even look at who the write-in candidates were. And so in total, you need at least 5% of the uh, vote has to go for a write-in. And then once that happens, we can actually, the, pr the program that we use, we will actually be able to go in and look and see who they voted for as a write-in. But again, that's only if that threshold of 5% is met. Otherwise, like people always want to know how many how many votes Mickey Mouse got. Uh, you know, I, there's no way to know. Um, the only way yeah. to know is if Mickey Mouse got or other uh, writing candidates received 5%. Um, and then we open those up and we will um, you, you be able to look and see who, who was voted for as a write-in. So, so just... Uh, just the, the other side of this coin is there is there's overvotes, but then there's also undervotes. And undervotes yeah. are, I think, much more common. Perhaps it's, for whatever reason, a lot of people don't vote on the judges. They don't vote on certain things. Those are all undervotes. And before we get down to that role, I just looked at the last mayoral election here in Lincoln um, between uh, Susan Geis and our now current uh, Mayor Larry Baird, Taylor Baird, excuse me. We had 50 overvotes out of roughly 81,500 total votes cast. And I didn't go back and look at that to see what is a trend or not, but just knowing that, you know, that's a micro, micro piece that wouldn't even swayed anything. But can you tell us more about undervotes? Uh, did I get that uh, analysis correct? It's just the same thing that yeah. you didn't vote for? Yeah, you're, you're correct. Um, there are people who actually, in this last election, um, just show up and get a ballot and turn it back in. Um, they didn't vote for anybody. Um, and so there were several blank ballots that were cast in the last election. Um, now that's an extreme, there's only a handful of those. Um, but yeah, generally, if you look at a ballot, historically, what the rule always has been is that the top vote getter on election is at the top of the ticket. And then as the, the ballot, as you go down the ballot, um, people sometimes stop voting. Um, so, People will show up for a presidential election just to vote for a president. 
or governor, senator, uh, you know, some of the statewide constitutional officers, uh, certain issues. Um, but yeah, once you start getting into some of the down ballot, um, you start seeing um, the uh, undervotes. Um, so people always think when they see the results of an election that somehow there are votes missing. No, they're not missing. It's just people chose not to vote in that election uh, for that for that race. And it's common. It's very common. There's nothing that says that you have to fill out every oval on a ballot um, or even you have to fill out one at all. Um, so. So I, I guess I only have two questions left. I'm going to give you the last one, but then focus on my My last question will be, if people have questions or if they want to volunteer and become a poll worker, either one of those two, how can they get a hold of you? But before that, I would ask, what are the needs and wants that you would like to have just to make the operation better? Or, or are you just fully funded right now? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the question, Kurt. So, yeah, anybody that's interested in working on an election or have any questions, do not hesitate to reach out to me. Um, my uh, office phone number is 402-441-7311. Um, but also on our website, we have a lot of uh, useful resources on our website. Uh, and that web address is www.lancaster.gov forward slash election. And a lot of the information that we've talked about is on our website, um, including in your chance, your, your important question, Kurt, you know, we are very, we run very successful elections here in Lancaster County, um, and we do so using volunteer election workers, meaning that these are people who uh, express an interest in working on election. You know, in other counties, uh, you, you there's conscription. Um, some uh, counties use the same mechanism to uh, fill up election boards that are is used for jury duty. We don't do that in Lancaster County, we, and we don't. We have the ability to do that, but we don't, and that's because we have a, a, a great community of individuals who are willing to work um, two days a year um, from you know seven to uh, sometimes nine o'clock for, for a day to make sure that our elections are, um, are successful. And so we do have an application on our website. Um, we've recently updated that. It's a very simple one-page application um, where people can um, just fill it out online and click submit, um, and then that will generate a uh, a uh, uh, process in which um, we can uh, ascertain whether or not they would be able to work on an election. But that, that's the, the important thing is that, you know, just making sure that we have enough um, employees that are uh, willing to work um, for uh, on election day is, is important. Well, very good. Well, Todd Wilchin, thank you so much for coming on the show. Congratulations on your, your new position and, and uh, hope everything continues to go smoothly as, as it's a great, uh, a great organization that, that we, we have here in the county. So hope you can come back again after the, uh, the next election and we can follow up. Absolutely. Anytime, Lynn. All right. Well, thanks to our listeners again for spending uh, 30 minutes with us here on Our Street. For Kurt Elder, Lynn Fisher saying thanks, and we'll see you next time.